Studio S M L. Welcome to the Studio SML podcast. In this series of candid conversations, we talk to some of the most established architects and designers in Singapore about how they got to where they are today. Hear about their personal journeys and the highs and lows of running a design practice in Singapore. Enjoy the rest of this podcast. Jacqueline Yeo and Victor Lee have a soft spot for civic projects. This may very much have to do with how the husband and wife founders of Ply Studio Architects consider space both ubiquitous and egalitarian. Their firm of two boasts of a range of works from a single house to schools and a large-scale housing project. Elaine Chan speaks to Jack and Vic and discover their secret wish to design a bus stop. So, uh, were you first partners in life or work? I guess we were both. Uh, we... I mean, we met. We both met in architecture school, um, uh, in undergrad. Uh, so we have always been doing work alongside our uh, relationship, and it has evolved from being students together to working together in in bigger practices to then starting our our own firm. So it's it's always gone hand in hand um, ever since we met. So it's it's a. Uh, yeah, it's a life journey. <laughs> How do you work together? Have you come to that perfect way of working with each other over the years? Not perfect, but I'll let Victor tell, tell you all about it. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we try to acknowledge each other's uh, interests and strengths and also we, we ourselves, we are aware of our own weaknesses. So I think that Naturally, we, we have found a, a kind of a best fit uh, situation to, to work together and try not to have too much overlaps. Um, but when we were working separately in, in, in different offices, um, when we first started out in our professional life, um, even though we were not working together, we, we always had conversations around around architecture and design, mm-hmm. uh, trying to learn a bit more from each other, mm. uh, opening up to, to each other about our concerns at work and problems that we may face. Uh, and then through that kind of uh, opening up of our uh, thoughts uh, and then sharing of uh, issues and, and experiences, mm-hmm. perhaps through that, we, we try to also, you know, try to find out a bit more about each other professionally uh, in terms of our own distinct interests in right. in the field of architecture. Mm. Yeah. Right. Mm. Yeah. So I think after after a while you kind of develop a little bit of a shorthand with each other. Mm. So especially when it came to uh, putting together works for our own practice, um, that came in very very helpful because we are so used to working together, working with each other's train of thoughts that you could almost be quite a seamless thought process that develops through the entire design uh, journey of any, any projects that we are working on together. So I think we dovetail quite a lot in, in our responsibilities. Right. Um, it's, a little, it's a little bit like a, a relay <laughs> match yeah. in, in a right. way where, where one, one person starts something and then it just gets continued by the, the next person. So, um, so it, far, I think that has worked pretty well. Is it always smooth? Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we would like to think that we'll get there in the end. Um, yes. It just really depends yes. on how long that process takes. Yes. Yeah. But yes. I, I would say um, it's been fairly uh, smooth, I guess, um, mm. through mm. the years that we've been working together. Right. Um, I, mm. I don't recall any major disagreements mm. over mm. certain stages of the project or, or mm. in terms of uh, where ideas came from. Because I think mm. being partners as well, we were we are exposed to the same kind of life situations and experiences. Mm. As much as we mm. have, you know, separate mm. kind of um, experiences, but um, at the core of it, we, we do have very similar kind of outlook in life. Right. Um, mm. And perhaps that's also why we got together in the first place. Mm. Mm. Why did you become architects? Um, it's, a, <laughs> it's a question that we ask ourselves all the time. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think at, for me, um, definitely this idea that space is something that is quite ubiquitous and it's quite egalitarian. It shouldn't really belong to a very small subset of very rich people. Mm. Um, so good space is, is something that we try to do f- throughout uh, the works that we create. And it can be something very small up to or something very big. But I think what we try to always have um, at the core of our, uh, what we really want to do is to see if space can be um, the, the factor that changes how people are able to live in a certain way or to operate or work in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, that's something that is quite, um, uh, quite important for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Does Victor have anything to add to that? Uh, Why did yeah. you become an architect, Victor? I guess for me, um, growing up, I, I, I was interested in, in drawing and as well as making things, um, you know, just kind of taking things apart and putting it back together and so on and so forth. Mm. And and growing up uh, without having family that are, um, you know, in, in this in this profession, in this trade, uh, mm. you're just really just hearing from what people say about architecture being the perfect mm. uh, blend of the, the arts and sciences. So I, I just naturally... Uh, you know, latched onto that that uh, that concept, and and when it came to um, university, I I just I just went for architecture um, to try and you know satisfy both uh, both the the creative uh, interest that I have in in things as well as um, looking at things in, in you know in, in a very rational way. So yeah, it's it's the age old cliche that um, architecture is really at you know at the crossroads of the arts and sciences. Yeah. Right. Many years down the road from then till now, um, is architecture what you imagine? And um, what do you think are the most important elements in the practice and in your practice? Um, I, I, maybe I can, I can answer this first. Mm. Um, I think your, your views and your attitudes towards looking at what architecture uh, really means and what architecture encompasses uh, really changes mm. from when you were a student, um, mm. you know, fresh out of school, uh, mm. still very naive and, you know, very inspired by things around you and what you see. Uh, and then now kind of, and then working, you're working through the ranks of 
um, gaining you know experience professionally right. working with various practices and then uh-huh. eventually thinking about you know the you know setting up on your own and uh, being autonomous in that sense and creating your own uh, you know uh, products and, and spaces and buildings or whatever I, I think it has been a, a quite a change a, a big change um, for me especially when you you are running a practice now and uh, the more kind of real world um, issues uh, the, the, the whole the practical side of running a practice uh, and then the uh, the more pragmatic uh, aspects of making architecture uh, you know mm-hmm. dealing with budgets dealing with people mm-hmm. dealing with uh, clients uh, mm-hmm. dealing with uh, often conflicting um, factors uh, of a project and then mm-hmm. having to uh, mitigate those those differences and mm-hmm. and find a way to negotiate the process I think these are things that mm-hmm. you gradually uh, you gradually learn and gradually uh, understand that they, they are all part and parcel of uh, constraints and, and and inputs to help shape and enrich the design process, and mm. I think we we do mm. try to embrace embrace that um, because mm-hmm. we believe mm. uh, at the end of the day the outcome of the design mm. is really uh, a confluence of of responses to these very very conflicting kind of needs, uh, and and mm. and we. We, we like to think that we pay a lot of attention to trying to uh, mitigate these differences and then uh, to mm. try and come up with a design that is, you know, in a way quite quite responsive to, to such uh, mm. challenges. Yeah. Mm. I think what we tried to do throughout the years is to, as what Victor said, to kind of distill um, the most important aspects of each of our clients' requirements and yeah. maybe also the site requirements, etc. Mm-hmm. And I think we have been quite quite fortunate because we have worked on quite a number of projects um, outside of Singapore as well as within Singapore. So yes. I think it translates quite well um, through our different experiences with different uh, clients from different parts of the world mm. and the essence of how we we then talk about our projects um, can transcend uh, sort of social and um, economic boundaries I think or geographic boundaries of um, mm. what it actually means to build in those countries so mm. I think in that sense it's quite rewarding because mm-hmm. um, it's still able to to meet what their requirements are even though we we don't really know uh, the context that well so i think when, whenever we em, um, embark on a new project we try to see as much as possible what what these requirements are and try and distill it down to some very simple um uh rules which mm-hmm. we then um subscribe to very very rationally and religiously through the through the whole um, design process right I've, I've read um, in an article that you have a methodology of um, basing mm. on the idea of modulated form this is a little bit jargonistic to me mm. would you care <laughs> to elaborate a little bit more for my benefit 
Uh, um, okay, so I think modulated form came about because we, um, first of all, we've always been quite a small team. Mm -hmm. um, we, we never really went beyond like a four to six number size of, uh, of our practice. Mm -hmm. So um, the opportunity for, yes, I think it was very small? intentional. Um, mm. We both, yes, we both worked in, in one of the largest architecture offices uh, in Singapore before we set up our own practice. So right. I think we, we knew that we didn't really want to be a lot bigger. But mm -hmm. um, I think uh, we also didn't want to limit ourselves to doing um, smaller scale projects just because our team was very small. Mm -hmm. So I think um, as part of that strategy um, of creating a sort of logic between mm -hmm. how do you then scale something up from what we can handle as a team would be to create modulated forms that then can be aggregated and to be scaled up to a certain size mm -hmm. and to be able to then spend as much time as, as we need to uh, to make it work. So in a sense, it was a bit of um, a strategy also to then talk about the most essential space for every project because that then becomes the core space that right. would then be modulated to then be aggregated. Right. If, if you know what I mean. Is that, is that still jargonistic? <laughs> uh, so I, I guess from my understanding is that mm -hmm. there is a core that you work with and then it, it's mm -hmm. able to scale up and out. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and build along and I assume that mm. you collaborate mm. with partners along the way as and when needed. Yes, that's correct. Um, okay. Maybe just to give you an example. So yes, I please. think we, we previously worked on uh, uh, 450 units for affordable housing in Kenya, mm -hmm. in, in Africa. Mm. And how did the modulated form um, method worked there was that all 450 units were derived from a single plan. Mm. So it wasn't uh, like there were so many different variations, but the complexity came about in how they were being put together and how they were being combined and organized mm. in on the site itself. Mm. So I think we, we quite enjoy doing mm. those scale shifts, uh, but with a very intentional uh, limitation that we right. set ourselves. Right. So I think a lot of things that we do actually comes from a very limit. We, we limit, we tend to try to limit ourselves to a few moves such that um, I think eventually, I think it forces a certain invention to take place <laughs> so that um, it wouldn't, yeah, so it would be something quite surprising at the end of the day. Right. I think it's also a way in which we try to economize our, mm. our practice and uh, mm. our design because we have always been a very small team, uh, mm. very lean, mm. uh, and then we really have to, you know, uh, work with whatever resources that we have. So this this method or whatever word you want to call it, just it's just it's a way that we have been working uh, very naturally at first, and then mm. when we when we look back, uh, we realize that actually the the, the, the things that have changed are, are not much, you know, mm. we, we come up with something and then 
in order to create variations, we just make some subtle changes, and then the the key is is in how we we then combine things together. Uh, in in it, so in a small project that can work. Uh, but it also allows us to get a foot into working on larger scale projects where we then we we are really just working with smaller parts of the of the bigger picture all the time. Uh, and it gives us a bit more confidence right. because then we can work through the the small to the big, right. rather than you start with something very big and then you mm. you you struggle mm. to break it down and mm. to design all parts of it. So it's it's really a like Jacqueline says it's a, it's a scaling process as well. There's obviously a lot of repetition, but we are aware of that and and we've been trying mm. to develop ways to create uh, variations within the repetitions. And I think in terms of the outcome, it's also, in a way, trying to gear towards making things that look like they belong uh, in a family uh, mm. when they have mm. been combined, uh, mm. rather than have things that may not kind of work uh, in continuity mm. with each other. Mm. And the fact mm. that they, they, they change uh, mm. gives us a kind of, I mean, we feel that it's very interesting to look at mm. things that, um, have you know how the how the shape or how the form changes? It it kind of has a has a relationship or has a you can trace it really back to to the the, the first uh, first shape or, or the first iteration of it. Oh, that's really and I think sounds interesting. Yeah, and I think also it stemmed from us always having to work with our contractor partners. Mm. So I think um from the very start, even when we were working in London, we we work quite very very closely with the builders, the the people that actually uh -huh. build yep. our projects, and I think the modularity and the fact that everything stemmed from a, a sort of like a root, a, a family. Yeah. Uh, so they're all family or parts, right? Yeah. So it makes it much easier to describe to the person that's going to be building it, mm -hmm. and I think it's also very nice that um, they then have a lot of confidence in building it because it's not mm. trying to digest a huge project but they're actually digesting it in, in bite-sized chunks that then they can replicate right. and so that that became like modus operators for us for all our projects and it's very easy to then talk to the contractors and, and the people who will be building it um, in, in these parts. Right. Um, I wanted to follow up on a point that you mentioned, Jack, earlier about um, mm. you um, intentionally kept the team small because you have worked in bigger firms. Mm. So that brings me to the question, why did you mm. guys decide to start your own business? <laughs> um, I think one of the main reasons was the, aton the, the ability to gravitate towards certain project types or certain project genres that we feel quite passionately about. Mm. Um, so I think inevitably, if you're in a bigger firm, you have to deal with a huge spectrum of clients right. from the super mm. commercial <laughs> all the way to very bespoke sort of clients. And I think because we have always wanted to be quite well, I don't know why, but we seem to gravitate towards um, clients who are not very commercial in mm. in nature, almost the other opposite spectrum of, of commercial. So we have done schools. We have done quite a number of schools. We mm. have done 
quite a number of um, uh, spaces that are more for kind of collaborative workspaces mm -hmm. rather than like a developer-led sort of projects. So I think somehow we gravitate towards those projects and more of those sort of projects seem to come to us. Uh, so that's part, partly the reason why we decided to set up on our own so that we can have a choice of uh, what sort of projects that we wanted to take on. Um, that it could also be uh, more of an intrinsic motivation to mm. to become uh, you know owners of your own practice. Um, I think the traditional model of an architecture firm that at least for me personally, when I was you know first exposed to architecture and throughout my learning journey, was really looking at. Uh, you know, uh, architects that have their own practices as a as as a model. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. being not very adventurous, <laughs> and also maybe through a personal kind of prejudice, I just, I guess we we do share the same, uh, position the the, the same perspective in terms of, uh, we know that eventually you know we would want to do something on our own, uh, and 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 therefore set up on our own. Uh, we'll have a practice. Uh, so the, the years that we spend working with other practices and um, you know professionally uh, was really you know for us to to be very sure that that we we would not want to stay and, and work in a, a corporate practice or to work with with somebody else, but really to 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 drive us or to motivate motivate us further to creating our own practice. Right. Mm. Um, so, um, have you enjoyed being um, run or running your own practice so far? <laughs> um, yes and no, I think. Um, there's always, of course, things that make you feel very frustrated about running your own practice. and mm. But it's difficult I guess to answer that question because you would never know what it was not to run your own practice or you would never know the other trajectory I suppose because right. um, we have chosen this and this is our trajectory yeah. and for the past like 13 years or so yeah. um, and I mean it has been very rewarding that's for mm. sure uh, when we see things being completed and people enjoying the spaces and really contributing in that sense to everyone else's well-being when they inherit the project and they use it and and we find great joy in visiting our projects after a few years of occupation and and seeing how people really liked using the spaces um, so that's definitely something that is 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 a very much um, a reward for for doing this on our own mm. um, of course there are stumbles and there are things that you learn across uh, across mm. the journey but I I don't think it would be worse off I guess than mm. the other if we had not done this mm. yeah I I mean the grass is always greener on the <laughs> other side so, so they say <laughs> yes yes, yes. Yeah. so and Victor, any thoughts to share? Yeah, um, I think it's been um, 
a rewarding as well as a challenging journey so far. I, I do echo uh, everything that Jacqueline has mentioned. Mm. Of course, when when you were younger, um, being more optimistic and mm. and naive, uh, and then to kind of act upon you know your uh, inspirations and motivations. Um, but through the years, I think you understand uh, more and more so that. Um, it's not just really producing the work, it's really also uh, the challenge of, you know, the day-to-day running of a business. So it's mm. really looking at it as a business was um, was something that we both, you know, really have to think quite hard and think through the different strategies that, that we can deploy to, to make it viable as a business aside from or rather on top of uh, maintaining uh, mm. certain integrity about the design, mm. uh, maintaining mm. certain rigors about the design, mm. keeping mm. true to your own processes and wanting to keep furthering uh, your, your thoughts about certain ideas about design and wanting to uh, read, you know create more research and, and eventually execute those ideas so it's it's definitely been been challenging mm-hmm. but I would like to say that uh, we we of course try to remain positive and mm. and really treat each uh, experience as, as a learning point in yeah. trying to move forward yeah on the point mm. about integrity what is your design mm. philosophy um, I think it was briefly covered um, when we were talking about some of the, the impetus behind creating the design process mm. in the way that we have done so. Mm. And it's really a result of understanding our own circumstance, right? Because I don't mm. think, I think no, no two firms are alike. Mm. And you really have to search and understand um, your own position, your own circumstances, mm. in order to find the best way to to produce the work uh, with very challenge under very challenging uh, demands and, and situations. Um, I don't think we have like a real design philosophy other than mm. it really being driven by uh, like the core of our, our operations. Yeah, like how we right. how we really need to work in order to, to stay uh, stay above la, I guess mm. the challenges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are the projects that you have done um, that you're most proud of and also you know what what kind of projects do you want to do but have not got around to doing so yet <laughs> um, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll answer the second question and then uh, mm. Victor can answer the first question because <laughs> I have more ones than he has <laughs> um, I I think we have been quite lucky. We have been mm. doing rather large range of work, actually, mm. um, from from schools all the way down to housing. Um, something that that always strikes us as worth doing would be projects that, of course, reach out to a larger um, audience. Mm. I think. So um, I think if we were able to do so, if we would like to do more civic projects, uh, mm. projects that, of course, um, would be comfortable enough in terms of its size for us to handle. 
and also um, be able to be experienced by by people by more people. So so not like private houses where usually it's only the family members yep. that uh, use the spaces. But uh, and I think it it would be also interesting to do projects that. Um, conventionally are maybe not done by architects. I mean, we've always talked about this and I think we have always been quite interested in seeing whether we can do projects that um, are quite run-of-the-mill sort of buildings, but uh, they're not deemed to be also important enough to be designed by an architect um, uh, or designed even, right? So so I think that would have been quite interesting. Sorry. Sorry for interrupting. Uh, why not? <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. One of our earlier... Just to get a picture, uh, we, you know. Sure, sure, sure. Um, when we were first starting up, I think we did like a series of workshops that were actually looking at the type of a bus stop. I think mm. that was like a very small scale, mm. sort of ubiquitous structure mm. that is all over, right? Mm. But it's just infrastructural um, mm. design in that mm. sense. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I think it'll be quite interesting to find out actually if there's any things that of that sort of genre that we could really get into to design. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't mind having a new bus stop. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really interesting. So yeah, that's that's what what I think. <laughs> that's my two cents worth. <laughs> Maybe Vic wants to add something yeah. else. Um, I think in responding to um, Elaine's question of the mm. projects that we are most proud of, probably mm. I think we share uh, some common uh, projects that we have completed. Uh, I yes, think the is. most meaningful one would be the Rainbow Centre extension. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I think we really enjoyed that project from mm. the standpoint of really working with uh, a different group of uh, users uh, having very good clients that, that understand you know what's what's really required in terms of uh, engaging an, an architect to to work on their project and in terms of the uh, it's not so much of the scale of the project but I guess it was one of the projects that we were able to uh, deploy some of the design processes that was mentioned earlier mm. and then see that being realized and implemented in the final project. Uh, it was a project that we couldn't have uh, completed without the input also of our collaborators. So we, we collaborated with another architectural firm to work on that project. So that was uh, quite a nice project as well. Um, another project that we quite enjoyed was that also work on the principles of you know simple geometry and, and mm. how how we put things together in a repetitive mm. yet, mm. you know, with some variations was the uh, project for Cove Galleria in mm. KL. Mm. Mm. Um, so we we worked quite closely with the construction or fabrication arm of the uh, our clients who were who are also infrastructural developers, and they were quite keen to try out uh, prefabricated concrete structures that were be able to be made off-site and then delivered uh, to site. So so basically, it's the, the same principles of putting um, something very simple to start with and then looking at different ways to permutate and to create differences. And then that, that, that ended up as uh, the structures for the buildings. Uh, so it was really 
a feature that created the core experience uh, of, of the main building as well. Of course, there, there were also a lot of small, smaller scale projects along the way that we felt were very interesting at the other end of the scale spectrum, which we you know we were also able to discuss and, and then finally implement uh, very similar ideas. Yeah, so I think it, yeah. all in all, um, I think we we don't have a particular angle in terms of uh, or sector that we are targeting at. Hmm. It's really more of trying hmm. to see if there is a kind of consistent or you know very um, predetermined way to, to look at projects, you know. Hmm. Regardless of mm. the genre, the, the size mm. or the scale. Yep. Right. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly what we try to think of for most of our projects. So um, even if it was something quite typical, we would try to see if there's any avenue to mm. to push it to a certain um, certain form or a certain architectural language, uh, like taking taking cues from perhaps like the client's organization or the context mm. in which it was it was supposed to be built or certain very um, unique requests from the mm-hmm. client, I think. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's always interesting and important for us. So our relationship with our clients, I suppose, is also very critical and quite important for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to want to have very close and uh, collaborative sort of relationship with our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the two projects that Victor was talking about actually yep. were the ones whereby we work hand in hand with the client to basically uh, envision what the outcome would be. So mm-hmm. either using their, their in-depth knowledge of construction like the, the Cove Galleria mm-hmm. or in the case of Rainbow to really look into like the pedagogy of how the school is being run mm-hmm. and the sort of uh, ways in which the teachers are looking at producing the teaching pedagogy and how the spaces that we create can complement it. So mm. so for us, I think it's quite important that we start the conversations early with our clients and um, we, we move the, uh, the architecture to really be very customized and bespoke to what um, we find interesting, I think, right. about right. what they tell us. Right. Yeah. So over the years, um, having practiced... Um, architecture for quite a while now yeah mm. um have the challenges changed in the practice mm. and what kind of challenges are you currently mm. confronting or overcoming mm. just to give a sense of you know that creative uh, journey i don't they have changed that much in terms of a creative uh mm. A journey. I think what has really changed is the. Um, it's always about running a business, and I think, as as an architecture, I guess it's also because we are a small small firm, and uh, I think it has been always this balancing act, right? Like mm. how much do you, mm. how much do you put out in order to get the sort of. Um, sustainability aspect of how do you even sustain an office financially how do you make sure that you have grown big enough for for this balance to happen so um, that has always been something that I think we we, we are not we are not too good at or um, we always need to we always need to be more um, 
exposed to various ways in which practices can be run. So I think this mm. is really quite quite a good platform, I would say, because mm. I think from talking with, with Kelly and also um, with some of the other people that has been featured on this website and podcast, uh, it has been quite interesting to find out how everyone is um, negotiating this because I think as as what we say every firm is very different right so yes. you might say that this is an interesting way of running a business so at the end of the day I think architecture firms also still need to to have conversations about how do you run a business I think that's something that we feel quite strongly about as well um, not just in terms of where your creative outlet takes you mm. because I think every firm's creative uh, direction is quite different mm. but everybody still needs to survive and still need to 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 work right yeah. as, as a profitable <laughs> business so um so I think that's that to me is quite interesting uh I think every and... <laughs> I think people who run a business are all very brave people <laughs> <laughs> Yes. There's a lot of uh, unknown, but full, I guess there's also hardy. the joy. <laughs> yes, foolhardy and brave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, Victor, do you have anything to add to yeah. that? Mm. Or um, I think yeah, yeah I, I think running the, the the business part of the practice is definitely challenging. But I was mm. also thinking in terms of how we as uh, architects and designers uh, are also staying, you know, mm. current in terms mm. of responding to mm. uh, more global kind of changes that are taking place. Mm. Um, of mm. course, it's very easy to just jump on the bandwagon of the whole mm. uh, green and sustainability movement. Mm. Um, but mm. I, I think it's, it's more of developing a consciousness uh, about, uh, about designing in those, to fit those purposes. But it's also really about whether or not the practice does have opportunities to to design for those mm. kinds of projects, right? right? And without kind of having those kinds of projects to work on, um, mm. I feel that we 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 also try to look at our own design process as a way to you know create more efficiencies, perhaps. Mm. Uh, not so. So what I'm trying to get at is that not really looking at uh, the execution of the project, which means the, the actual build, the actual implementation of 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 the projects uh, taking on uh, uh, or being you know uh, and de- deploying like sustainability products or green products and so on and so forth. But really examining our own design process. Uh, to try to create efficiencies and less wastage perhaps and also looking at ways in which uh, with more repetition in, in your projects mm-hmm. or with less kind of with a more stringent uh, palette of materials then, then at the end of the day we're driving towards uh, less wastage uh, less kind of use of you know manpower mm. of course we're not really talking about automation and things like that but just mm. really doing whatever we can in a very analog way, without having mm. you know the bigger projects to to execute um, mm. under the umbrella of, of the green movement, what right. what else can mm. we do? So right. it's really mm. more of yeah trying to re-examine our own um, design process. I guess yeah that that would what that was probably quite a, a challenge I would 
things to tailor made or to mm. uh, kind of adjust you know the way you you design and create architecture uh, mm. in, in terms of kind of a, 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 in terms of trying to align with, with that the, the bigger picture right it's hmm. yeah interesting and it's it's also a complex uh, process yes totally um very <laughs> very difficult process as well yeah yeah hmm. it is and i think it's not just for your firm or for any hmm. one firm it's just complex yes. for all of us because we have been so used to whatever we have been doing exactly yeah. exactly yeah totally right Anyway, mm. um, my final mm. question is: What inspires mm. you? What do you where, where do you get us. your inspiration? <laughs> um, what do you read? What kind of music do you like? Um, for me personally, I, I, I try to look at. I mean, I mean, I'm not really specific in terms of looking at inspiration from various sources. Mm. It's really more of just trying to. Be more observant. Uh, mm. Be more aware of things around me. Be a bit more mindful and and to try and look at. I, I guess this inspiration for design really comes through in various different forms and yeah. and sometimes it's a lot of it's a lot of relying on your own experiences. So whatever mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you have gone through, whatever you have done. Mm-hmm. Obviously, adds up to a, a a high level in your in your in your mental library in terms of what you can deploy and what you can pull mm. from, mm. you know, mentally, and then to try and translate that into in the paper mm. or and then into a piece of design, but also mm. to to just constantly be to be looking around in the city, moving around, mm. uh, looking at things, trying to look at things differently. I guess that's what I would say. Uh, inspires mm. me. Yeah. Mm. I think also spaces because I think a lot of times people who mm, how do I put it? What I'm trying to say is is to see the spaces in real time. I think it's important. So mm. it's it's almost like if you go to a space uh, or uh, in a city or uh, a space that you visit, then to really understand why it's interesting or why it, why it makes you want to stay on in that space or what mm. is what about it is is so interesting mm. about certain things right and i think that helps to keep a certain level of inspiration to how you can so like what victor was saying it's like building up your own mental rolodex of mm. of different sorts mm. of spaces and mm. to me um i i'm always most excited when i go to site so mm. Um, projects that are ongoing, projects that have yet to start, projects that are kind of in the dif- in different phases of building, that, that really inspires me because I think, uh, especially when you get to speak to the people who are building it, um, how you want to make certain things happen, that, that is always something really exciting and quite inspiring for me. So, so that, that transition between what we have designed on paper to what is being actually built, um, that transition in, in scale and how you actually can be in the space that you have designed is really inspiring uh, for me. And, okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> yes. Thank you all. Mm. Thank you both so much for your time. 
Um, yeah, thank you. It was nice speaking thank to you. you. I've learned a lot. Yes. 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 Thanks so much for doing this. I hope I hope you'll you get to um, design one of these regular bus stops. <laughs> <laughs> I very much look forward to it, really. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I speak to you later. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, yes. Richard. Sure. Thanks, okay. Bye bye. Take Thank care. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Studio SML podcast. To hear the stories of more Singaporean architects and designers, head to www.studiosml.net where you can find out more about Studio SML as well as all our podcast episodes.